This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. So this morning is about God's Word. We have the great privilege this morning of looking at God's Word. This this is... A gift to us. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it has authority in our lives. Please join me as I read Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think, Jesus said, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is calling us to the pursuit of righteousness. Holiness, godliness, Christ-likeness. This text is about your and my righteousness. Grow in your righteousness. Not a self-righteousness, but it's calling us with, with the law of the Lord written on our hearts by the Spirit. To joyfully, passionately obey by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit, the law of God. The Pharisees, as you probably know, were famous for their righteousness. The word Pharisee actually means separate. They set themselves apart by their righteousness. They had a code that they lived by. They, they made up rules and regulations for life and conduct. It, they were more strict than the Old Testament, more strict than the law of Moses. Remember the parable Jesus told about the Pharisee and the sinner in the temple? And the Pharisee said he fasted twice a week. Twice a week? Raise your hand if you fasted twice this week. 
Just kidding, don't raise your hand. Probably wouldn't have mattered. Same number of hands would have gone up. They fasted twice a week. In fact, the only requirement in the whole Old Testament for fasting was a fast once a year. But they fasted twice a week. It, in, the, in their system, if you wanted to be righteous, you had a lot of rules and regulations you had to keep. And they kept them. Their, their system was demanding. Everyone thought of them as truly holy. They were the models. They were the leaders. They were separate. You want to be holy? Find a, a Pharisee. He's a law keeper. He's a professional. There is one member of our church. He's not a Pharisee, but he's a professional when it comes to water sports. Arn Clow is my age, and he's been competing in water sports and all things boats since he was in college. Even his adult sons speak in hushed tones about his ability on skis and wakeboards. They're good too, but they, when they speak of him, he's the man. And adult sons never say anything nice about their dads. <laughs> Things are different when you're with Arn on the water. He is next level. He's like nobody else. You may think you're a good skier. He's like no, he is the goat in this room, the greatest of all time. I've learned over the years when I'm with him on the water just to say, Arn, you're a professional. And he will just say, yep. <laughs> it's an amazing thing to watch him on a lake. When I get to the lake, I want to help him. I, I've been on lakes. I've been with boats. I used to ski back in the 1800s. <laughs> I want to help him. I want to drive the boat. I want to back the trailer into the water. But I've learned, hmm, sit in the boat and eat chips <laughs> is the best way for me to help Orn. Last time we were out, I forgot this. I tried to help him dock the boat. I ended up dropping the little bumper thing into the lake. It took an extra five minutes for him to fish it out. I was just reminded he's the professional Sit in the boat, eat the chips. This is how people felt about the Pharisees when it came to righteousness, when it came to actually salvation. They're the pros. No one even thought they got close to breaking the law. They didn't break the law, they were really considered the only ones holy. The only ones righteous. Most people felt they could never measure up to their standards. They saw little hope of being righteous. They, these Pharisees, these scribes, they, they were professionals at holiness. They were superior. There were 248 regulations and 365 prohibitions. They kept them all. They knew them all. And they kept them all. 
And they laid a heavy burden on everybody else. So imagine how it felt. Verse 20, when Jesus said, I tell you something. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you think that landed on Jesus' disciples? They're the pros. They must have thought, here we go again, a new impossible system. I give up. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. This then is surely one of the most vital things you can ever consider. What is our conception of true holiness and sanctification? What is our idea of being religious? What is our conception of a Christian? Our Lord sets it down here as a postulate, a, a, a fact that's assumed. This is just assumed. That the righteousness of the Christian, the very least Christian, must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So today we're going to dig in to this text so that we might understand what the Lord means. Do we just sit in the boat and eat chips? No. We don't want to do that. We want to pursue holiness. The question that has come up at this point in the sermon is, how can God's people live so that they manifest His glory? And draw other people to him for the same purpose. That's the question. And the answer is righteousness. We're called to live out the Sermon on the Mount. The one word that is going to sum up this sermon, the remainder of this sermon, is righteousness. So this is foundational. These verses are an introduction for what's to come. And here in this text, Jesus teaches his disciples about three things, the law, the kingdom, and our righteousness. So let's look, first of all, at the law. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What does he mean when he speaks about the law? What does Jesus mean When he talks about the law of God in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to understand that. That's what this text is is teaching us. It's an introduction. It's important. John Newton, who wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, once said this in a letter to a friend. Ignorance of the nature and design of the law is at the bottom of most of our religious mistakes. Kevin DeYoung, in his book on holiness, of all the thorny issues in the Bible, the most difficult, in my opinion, is the role of the law in the life of the Christian. The official statement for Reformed people probably comes from John Murray, book on ethics, well-known, respected, reformed theologian, the believer is under law. He is bound in law to God and to Christ. 
the law of God and of Christ binds him precisely because of his relation to Christ. Grace, wait a minute, grace intervenes and rules over us to deliver from the dominion of sin and therefore establishes and promotes the opposite of sin, namely righteousness. That's a mouthful. Jesus is saying everything I teach is going to be in harmony with the Old Testament. Everything I teach is going to be in harmony with the law of God. Nothing he says or teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is going to contradict the law of God. First five books of the Bible are known collectively in the New Testament as the law. In distinction from the prophets. We see it here in the text. Jesus uses this distinction in verse 17. And then down in verse 19, he talks about the law and its commandments. The law included specific commandments. There's a reason we went from the Ten Commandments to the Sermon on the Mount. They're guiding principles, these commandments that governed the lives of the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. When Jesus says, He did not come to abolish the law, He means the commandments God gave His people through the ministry of Moses that we looked at. In the Beatitudes, He's already made it clear what it means to belong to the kingdom of heaven. But what he has not said is even more shocking. He has said nothing about the law. He has said nothing about the importance of keeping the law. May not have got our attention, but it got his audiences, the crowds, and his disciples' attention. He didn't say anything about the traditional interpretations of the law that the Pharisees taught. He, di he didn't talk about the importance of paying attention to their traditions and their teachings and obeying them. He, he was not encouraging reverence for the professionals, for the scribes and the Pharisees. So the question is being asked, did you come to abolish the law? He, he was... He was teaching that the way of salvation, the way to enter the kingdom of heaven, was not by merit, by your own merit, by observing the law perfectly. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians 3, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The, right, the, the Pharisees had a righteousness derived from the law. They had a righteousness based on their performance. Jesus' followers enter the kingdom of heaven though, remember, poor in spirit. Nothing in our hands. allow us to enter the kingdom. But the scribes and the Pharisees, 
It must have sounded like Jesus was attacking their religion. They, they feared that he was attacking everything they stood for. He, he was never trained as a Pharisee. He didn't go to their schools. He didn't respect their authority. He preached this extraordinary doctrine of grace. He would hang out with sinners. We weren't supposed to do that. He didn't observe their rules, their regulations. All these, all these rules that they made, he just broke them criticized their teaching, seemed to be doing away with their whole religion. And they're the professionals when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to the law. So are you here to abolish the law? Is that what you're about? They were doing more than asking the question. And as you know, if you've read the Gospels, they're going to accuse him of abolishing the law. And it's going to get him killed. It was a common fear then, it's a common fear now. Common fear in the New Testament. If you preach a gospel of grace, you'll become antinomians. People against the law. And then you will sin without Restraint. The law will lose its power to keep people on the path of righteousness. It'll be bedlam, anarchy. People just do what's right in their own eyes. But this is not the teaching of Jesus Christ, as we will continually see in the Sermon on the Mount. Men and women who follow Christ are not against the law. I tell you, verse 20 Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Followers of Christ hunger for righteousness. They thirst for righteousness. They delight in doing the law of God. Paul's responding to the same criticism in Romans regarding his gospel of grace. Romans 3, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Romans 8, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that, the purpose of this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ's people, Christ's followers who walk not according to the flesh. We've been born again. We've been given a new nature. We're not spiritually dead. We're spiritually alive. And we've been filled with the Spirit. So we walk according to the Spirit. That's the teaching of the gospel and how it relates to the law. The law remains valid for us. Verse 17, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He didn't come to ignore the scriptures. Verse 18, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not 
an iota, smallest Greek letter, not a dot, not a little scrape on the paper or whatever the scripture was written on, not even a little, a little mark. Nothing will pass from the law, not the smallest thing, not the slightest thing, every detail. Lloyd-Jones says, it's the most stupendous claim that he ever made. Jesus believed all the Old Testament. He quoted from every part of it. Jesus respected this word. Jesus had a high view of Scripture. It had authority in his life, and he told his followers It has authority in your life. It has authority in our life. We've set aside this year to develop a heart for Scripture, haven't we? So we've had a daily reading plan. We've had emails go out where the pastors are talking about the upcoming readings. We've had Cornerstone U's. On the doctrine of Scripture, we have the great theologian Walt Alexander coming in a couple weeks to teach us about Scripture. If you came to Jesus Christ and you said to Him, can I talk to you about parenting? He would not take you to Barnes & Noble. He would not take you to the University of Tennessee Library. I'm not trying to be a smarty pants here. He would take you to the Old Testament. He would take you to the law of God. He would take you to one of the commandments that we studied this summer. Honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long in the land. And that the Lord your God is giving you. And he would teach you parenting. The Pharisees had not listened to his teaching. So much of his teaching in the Beatitudes came from the Old Testament. Neither the law or the prophets were set aside, were they? Quite the opposite. They were fulfilled in his coming. They they are to be fulfilled in the lives of his disciples. How can the law be fulfilled when we know that we're not justified before God by our works, by our efforts? Well, the law expresses the character of God. It expresses His will for our lives. God's intention for us is that we live according to His law because it's an expression of who He is. It teaches us The law teaches us who we are, teaches us our character. It shows us our need. It it teaches us the character of salvation, what it means to be saved, to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what the law teaches us. Salvation is about being restored to fellowship with God. It's about living in His Will, it's about being conformed to his law. And these requirements will be fulfilled in us as we walk according to his spirit. You want to know if you're filled with the spirit? 
You want to know if a person is full of the Spirit? They're going to delight in God's law. Rather than contradicting the gospel, the law of God goes hand in hand with the gospel when it's properly understood and properly applied in our lives. The Pharisees, they didn't understand the gospel. They're threatened, they're fighting. They're they're not getting the good news about Christ. They, in fact, are opposed to the gospel. What's surprising is they also misunderstood the law. The professionals, they misunderstood the law. They thought they upheld the law, but they were wrong, even though they were the experts. Winston Churchill once admitted privately to a friend, the biggest blunder of my life was the return to the gold standard. Now, I realize there's probably some folks here that are going to be passionate about returning to the gold standard. You're going to have to ignore that part of it. But at the time of his blunder, he was like the Secretary of the Treasury and largely responsible for the budget for all of Great Britain. It was in the 1920s. They'd just come out of World War I. They were heading for the Great Depression. There would be a giant stock market crash in 1929. It wasn't going to be pretty. All the financial experts at this time in the early 20s, all the economists of the day, including the the Cambridge economist you may have heard of, John Maynard Keynes, who was a friend of Churchill's, they were all completely united in their counsel to go back to the gold standard. At one point, Churchill had a dinner. He, He called it the brain trust. He got all of them into the treasury, sat down for dinner, and they left in agreement. Go back to the gold standard. And so Churchill pushed for it. And most analysts later said they were all wrong. All the experts were wrong. They made a mistake. No big deal. Except for Churchill. Because he was blamed. He had to take full and ultimate responsibility. And so, for the rest of his political career, he noticed how often experts proved wrong. And he learned to doubt the wisdom of the experts. And it served him because everybody at one point except him, and he almost literally stood alone, wanted to appease Adolf Hitler except for him, because he didn't trust the wisdom of the experts. Sometimes we've got to do the same. We're going to follow the teachings of Christ. We're going to have to not trust the experts. In Matthew 5, it was the legalist. It was the Pharisees and the scribes and their misunderstanding of the law. They're going to have to not trust them. You know how hard that was? Today, it's more the antinomians that we can't trust. The the so-called experts that are on the internet, that are in the church. We really need to be careful because sometimes we can't trust them. 
Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. A second thing he's teaching his disciples in this text is about the kingdom. Remember, that's the password for the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished, all is fulfilled. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The law is fulfilled in the kingdom. Remember that. The law is fulfilled in the kingdom. That's the point. We all know Jesus fulfills the prophecies. If you read in the first chapters of Matthew 5, you'll see it again and again. He fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. What we need to see this morning is he fulfills the law too. Not just the prophets. Fulfills the law. He was under the law, which says so much about the law. Jesus came as a man and lived under the law. And when it was all done, no one could bring a charge against him. Not one time. He was the perfect man, the only perfect man. He never broke the law. He never transgressed the law, thought, word, or deed. There was nothing he had not obeyed. He never broke the law. It wasn't that he got a pass somehow. He perfectly obeyed. He carefully obeyed. He confirmed it repeatedly. In his kingdom, the law is not abolished. It's fulfilled. He fulfilled it. He accomplished it. Every small detail. And now... He calls us to do that, to fulfill the law by the grace of God in our lives. I've thought about the college students a lot recently, been talking to them as they come back and they start up classes again, sorry about that. I wonder if, if they have a favorite professor. I started thinking about college and my favorite professor. My favorite professor was Dr. Elmore. Biology, literally, Biology 101, back in the 1800s. Why, he, he was my favorite. One thing is I liked science and I liked biology, but, but Dr. Elmore came to each class and he taught us the material. But it's the way he taught that worked for me. He wrote everything he was teaching, and I mean everything, on the board as he spoke, he might pause and say it again, but it was on that board. We had books. That's just because somebody needed to make some money. It was on the board. And when it came time for the exams, each question that was on the test came from that board. It came from that material. It was on that chalkboard. If you went to the classes, if you copied down what was on that board, 
and you came to those exams familiar with it, you did well in his class. Now, I've never been the smartest guy in the room. But if it takes showing up, writing down the, the info, coming familiar with it to the exam, you know, I can do that. I remember my first test, pretty much had it all memorized. I made 103 on the test. And he would have you come up and hand you your test afterwards. And, and I remember he said something to the effect of, I thought you were an idiot. <laughs> a little bit of long hair, a real nice mustache. You guys need to talk to, you guys trying to grow these mustaches, you need to talk to some of us old timers. We know all about mustaches. <laughs> flannel shirt, still wearing flannel shirts, untucked. I thought you were an idiot. No. Every word mattered. You needed to know every iota on that board. I was always amazed at other students who struggled. <laughs> they would come in like it was some kind of mystery. And I remember telling them, you know, just write it down and remember it. I mean, it's not that hard. They just didn't know the words. And it's the only time in my life I was actually considered a genius. I mean, everybody thought I was smart. Jesus brings out the real significance of the law and the Scripture in this text. The Pharisees accused him of abolishing the law. They're the ones abolishing the law with their wrong understanding of the law with their wrong interpretations of the law and application of the law. They were taken away from, they, they were chaining the law so it couldn't do what it was designed to do. Jesus didn't come to weaken the law. He set the law free so that our secret thoughts and our motives could be revealed. He, he takes away this presumption that we can earn salvation. That's what he does. The Sermon on the Mount, remember, crushes us so that we enter the kingdom by faith. We trust the Lord. The law wasn't a burden to Jesus. He fulfilled Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. He loved the law. And most notably, he fulfills the law in his death. He bore the penalty of the law in his death on the cross, Sinclair Ferguson, his cry of God-forsakenness, which pierced the darkness of the afternoon of his crucifixion, really says to us, this is the penalty of the broken law. This is the meaning of God's law. See how terrible its fulfillment is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, God in forgiving us does not do so by deciding not to exact the punishment that he has decreed, that would simply, that would imply a contradiction of his holy nature. He has said that sin has to be punished by death, and you and I can be forgiven only because the punishment has been thus exacted. In respect of his punishment of sin, God's law has been fulfilled 
Absolutely. Because he has punished sin in the holy, spotless, blameless body of his own son there upon the cross. Christ is fulfilling the law on the cross. Have no doubt. The law is valid in the kingdom of heaven. Finally, number three, your righteousness. In our text, you learn about your righteousness. I tell you, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of these experts, these professionals, the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. We need to understand his meaning, don't we? He's bringing together two things now in the Sermon on the Mount. The way in which he fulfilled the law himself and the way in which he fulfills the law in us. It's all about him. It's all about his work. He fulfills the law in us by giving us the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit creates in us a love for the law and, and gives us power and powers us to obey the law. You know, just naturally, we, we hate God. We don't want to be subject to the King. We don't want to be subject to His laws. But when we are born again, when we receive the Spirit, Old things pass away. New things come. By the grace of God, we, we love God. And we delight in the law. Jeremiah 31. This is the heart of the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. It's, it's no longer an external rule. It's no longer a burden. We're not being weighed down with heavy things like those who tried to follow the example of the Pharisees. When you're born again, when you're filled with God's Spirit, He gives you a new heart. It's a delight. It's a joy. There was no joy in the camp of the Pharisees, was there? It was all burden and misery. It was ugly. But in the kingdom of heaven, there is just joy. We'll, we'll never keep the law perfectly till he returns, but we, we will, by the grace of God, keep it truly. And we can progress. John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in 1 John, John wrote, and he's talking about assurance of salvation. By this we know that we've come to know him. We know we're Christians if we keep his commandments. So I want to pause just for a minute and just say to you, do you struggle with a sense of assurance? Try obedience. Try keeping his commandments. Nothing will encourage your soul more.
The law doesn't restrict us. It gives us a path to follow, to live a life that's blessed, that's happy, that's content. Where we get to the end of the path and we hear what? You know, we, we get the text. You know, after Tennessee beat Florida yesterday, I got text that had the little stuff coming down. Congrats! You know, I wasn't feeling too happy personally. If you're a Tennessee fan and you're happy, you're deluded. Talk to me later. Better losing, but not by much, you know. But I got the text, congratulations. That's, remember that? That word blessed. A good translation of that is congratulations. You've already entered the kingdom. This is the blessed life, the happy life. The content life. Congrats. Law doesn't restrict us. It's the path. It's, it's the path to joy, delight. Verse 20 does ruin any idea that following Christ is easy. It's easier than keeping the law. Let's be a, let's be a Christian. Then we don't have to worry about all the burden stuff. No, Jesus makes us righteous. He justifies us. Then he transforms us. So we leave the Pharisees in the dust by the grace of God. They, they were missing the great principles. They liked practice. And they missed the principles that are clear in the law of God. They were men who looked good on the outside, but not on the inside. They were whitewashed tombs. Jesus knew their hearts. Sinclair Ferguson says, The law is not the basis on which we merit salvation, but it does provide a test to distinguish between those who belong to the kingdom of salvation and those who are outside of it. It's the real test of whether we've been born again or not. If we have been, then God's law has been written in our hearts and we obey it joyfully. If we have not been, we may make a pretense at living the new life, but eventually the mask will be dropped and we will despise some of God's laws. And soon we'll encourage others to do so as well. And thus we'll be barred from the kingdom of heaven. Father of Christ is not a Pharisee. They have a relationship with God. They have fellowship with God in Christ. They're very happy people. His burden is light. But faith shows up in obedience. They're poor in spirit. They're meek. They're merciful. But they hunger and thirst for righteousness. So pursue holiness, says the Lord. Pursue holiness. Let's not relax one of the least of these commandments. Let's do them and teach others to do them for His glory. Let me pray. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word. We love Your Word, Lord. It's been a good year, Father, where You have 
encouraged a high view of Scripture in this church. Thank you, Lord. That's your grace. We love your word. We need your word. Lord, I pray, we, we thank you that we have the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Has authority in our lives, Lord. We confess our weakness. We come with nothing in our hands, and we pray, Lord, for mercy. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit. Fill this church with your Spirit, and let us fulfill your law. For your glory. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.